0: Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13. We're beginning a new series today, a series on the parables of Jesus Christ, as previously announced to you. So we begin by entertaining the question that the disciples asked Jesus, why parables? And that's in Matthew chapter 13. We'll read the first 17 verses, although we'll have occasion later to follow up uh, with verse 18. All right? Let's ask for God's blessing. Father, we come to your word, and specifically uh, the words of Jesus Christ here. And uh, we are thankful uh, for him, for his teaching, and particularly for this form of teaching. And we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. this particularly and often cryptic form uh, of teaching used by those in Scripture. So we ask for your blessing towards that end, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. and to hear what you hear, and did not hear Thus far the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Four points to the sermon. First of all, uh, an introduction. Secondly, the inquiry, which is in verse 10. Thirdly, the information, which is in verse 11. And fourthly, the interpretation, which is in verses 18 and following, all right? So, uh, the Bible is at one and the same time a window and a mirror. A window and a mirror. A window because through it one can see God and see into actually heaven itself. And yet it's a mirror at the very same time in which one can see himself or herself, all right? And the parables are like that, too. They're an important part of Jesus' ministry. 35% of Matthew, Mark, and Luke contain parables, all right? And it's a window into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus often uses parables to say the kingdom of heaven is like... All right? And then he tells the parable. You can see that in verse 11, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. You can see that in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom. And down in verse 24 as well, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. All right? So it's a window into the character of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I should hasten to explain. Many people have made a lot of theological hay out of the fact that in Matthew, the kingdom is referred to as the kingdom of heaven, all right? Not the kingdom of God. Let me just dispel that brief aside here, all right? Matthew is a Jew who is writing to Jews, and if you know anything about Judaism and Jewish people, they do not use the name of God. Because they think it's a violation of the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So they will often say, uh, Yahweh, all right? Or they will often say uh, another uh, stand-in, if you will, for the name of God. Uh, like Baruch Hashem, all right? Blessed be the name. Uh, rather than we would say, praise the Lord. They won't say the Lord, all right? So Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews, and he's simply being Jewish, in not using the name of God to talk about the kingdom. He says the kingdom of heaven, all right? But he's certainly talking about the kingdom of God, all right? It's just the Jewishness there, all right? Okay, so uh,
1: the parables are windows uh, into the... ...and teaching. And if you've not been here very long...
0: Uh, you have not heard me say, but you need to know, that Jesus came to inaugurate his kingdom. With the birth, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, the kingdom has come. It is here. It does not await the return of Jesus for the kingdom to come. All right, uh, This is very important to understand, and it is a theological dividing line in North American Christianity. Between those who recognize that the kingdom is here, now, present, with the coming of Jesus Christ, and those who, on the other hand, say, no, 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 the kingdom will come when Jesus returns and establishes his throne in Israel uh, with the Jews after the church has been raptured on the earth, all right? I believe that's mistaken, but we talk about that another time, all right? So... Parables are windows into the character of the kingdom because it is the central theme in Jesus' teaching. That's why it makes up so many uh, of Matthew, Mark,
1: Luke, and John. All right? Throw evil and to bring heaven and earth back into harmony, to bring
0: the entire uh, creation uh, under God's kingly control, to bring salvation to his people and renewal and restoration to the world. All right? That's why Jesus has come. All right? We dealt with this in the book of Ephesians. We, we said it is a book of cosmic reconciliation, and I won't repeat everything that was repeated every time we went through a sermon in the book of Ephesians. All right? Okay. But the parables are not only a window into the character of the kingdom, they are a mirror as well. A mirror by which to see yourself, to bring about dramatic, forceful change. All right? So let's get this straight at the outset, all right? These aren't just nice stories that we can pick apart and figure what does the metaphor allude to and what are the numbers references to as if somehow this is some kind of uh, divine puzzle that we are to figure out, all right? They're looking for forceful, dramatic change in you and in me, okay? They're a mirror by which that is to occur. They are have something of enormous import and practical relevance was happening as Jesus is teaching the parables. And you are, are to take urgent account of it, all right? The parables are meant as a challenge to change how you think and how you live. And each parable includes grace and judgment And each parable is like a double-edged sword. We can see that even here, which brings me to the second point, the inquiry. Look at verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 10. The disciples come and said to Jesus, now he's just finished the parable of the sower, right, in uh, verse 9, right? And they ask, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus is going to explain that parables are a double-edged sword, all right? In every parable, there's grace and there's judgment, which is why he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. For you who hear, that'll be grace. For you that don't hear, that'll be judgment. So, in verse 11, he answered them. Now, you don't see this in the ESV. I don't know what other version you may be looking at, but there's an important Greek word, that Richie Forty would point out to you that's missing there. You know, Richie reads the Nestle in Greek text as he studies the Bible, right? So he would tell you that the word Hoti, H-O-T-I in Greek is missing there. And that means because, all right? So when Jesus answers the question, why do you speak in parables? He says, because to you, disciples, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. One edge of the sword. But to them, all right, it has not been given. To you, you learn the secrets of the kingdom, it's grace. To them, it's not been given to them. To them, it's judgment. All right? You need to understand that this is the way God's word always comes. It's a double-edged sword. Don't misunderstand that passage in Isaiah when it says,
1: my word does not return to me void, it always a savor of life unto life for those that are being
0: saved. But it's a savor of death, it's the aroma of death unto death for those that are perishing. God's word will not return to him void. It will always accomplish what he intends it to accomplish, but what he intends it to accomplish is not always the salvation of the one who hears it. Sometimes it's their judgment. To you, it's been given the secrets of the kingdom, to you, it's not been given. Double edged sword, grace judgment. Notice it's one message, two results. Look down further, alright, verse 14, this is particularly important uh, in the context, remember I said that Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews, alright, so he often cites Jewish scripture or Old Testament scripture being fulfilled, and notice what he quotes here, if you're a good student of the Bible, what he's quoting is from Isaiah chapter 6, right, look at verse 14, In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. It says, you will indeed hear,
1: but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Because Israel is unbelieving.
0: Israel is disobedient. They have disregarded the Lord. They have constructed a fabulous man-made religion that is not the religion of the Bible. And God sends Isaiah, and through Isaiah, his mouthpiece, he speaks to Israel, and he speaks judgment to them. And these are the words of judgment. And now notice, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled in Jesus' speaking parables to the Jewish people of his own day. You Jewish people are no different than the people to whom Isaiah spoke. You have disregarded the Lord. You have not believed the Lord. You have disobeyed the Lord. And to you have not been given the secrets of the kingdom. This is a word of judgment to you. The parables to the immediate audience are a form of judgment. And I mention this not just as an
1: important historical or theological biblical lesson, all right? It's important we should know that. We are a nation, and I don't want to get into Christian nation and all the rest of this stuff. We could
0: talk about it another time over coffee, right? But we are a nation that has had the gospel. We are a nation that has had the Christian religion. We are a nation that has had the Bible. And we no longer want it. And when you talk to people that are second, third, fourth, fifth generation uh, Americans today... Fernando and Sterling encounter this every Saturday when they go to the park and they go up to talk to people. (sighs) I'm busy. Uh, No, no, no. don't bother me. I'm not interested. Can't you see I'm reading? Can't you see I'm on my, my earbuds? Leave me alone. They've had it and they don't want it. The most receptive population, this is important for us that are in New York City, the most receptive population in, the, in, uh, uh, in New York City
1: and the United States in general today. Of immigrants, And these are people that have never heard the gospel. These are people that perhaps only hear
0: the name of Jesus Christ taken in blasphemous tones but when you go to them, they're open, they're receptive because they're on your home turf, right? They're the strangers in a strange land. And this is particularly important. They are more vulnerable and receptive. I'm talking humanly speaking, all right? But this is a word that's relevant to the United States today. We've had it and we don't want it. Leave me alone, I'm busy. I don't care. The parables, for some, reveal truth. For some, it conceals the truth. For some, it's grace. For some, it's judgment. For some, it's promise. For some, it's danger. Hearing, for some, means life. Refusing to hear for others means death. Look at verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. That's why we sang Psalm 95 as the introduction, preparation for hearing the sermon. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as your fathers did in the wilderness. He who has ears to hear, Let him hear. That's why Jesus speaks in parables. All right, the information. Verse 11 and following, all right? As Jesus explains here, all right? This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This people's heart has grown dull with their ears. They can barely hear. Their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But, blessed are your eyes, for they see in your ears, for they hear. This brings you and me face to face with the most humbling truth of the Bible, and that is the relationship between God's sovereignty and and human responsibility. Many people have often stumbled over these theological polarities, if you will. Somebody went up to Charles Spurgeon once and they said, Mr. Spurgeon, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty with human responsibility? You want to know Spurgeon's answer? Spurgeon said, friends don't have to be reconciled. As Naomi Contreras would tell you, it's not a matter of either or. It's a matter of both ends. As always in reformed things, it's both God is sovereign in salvation, it's all His grace, it's all His initiative. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Apart from Him, we are nothing. Apart from Him, we could be nothing. There is no salvation apart from God reaching down, plucking a brand from the fire, and rescuing someone. And yet, each and every one is responsible before God for their standing with God and their eternal destiny. Both and are true, all right? One author put it this way. If you're a disciple of Christ today, if you understand the gospel, it's because God has granted you to know the truth. Your understanding is his gift, a gift not given to all. If you have faith, it's a gift of God. If you love God, it's because he first loved you. If you're united to Christ, it's by his doing that you are in Christ Jesus. If you have a knowledge of the things of God, it's because he became to you wisdom from God and gave to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And so has enlightened the eyes of your heart so that you can say with John Newton, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Or the words of the son, a hymn we sung earlier. As we come to the feast, why was I a guest? Why? I commend to you an important and valuable spiritual exercise for your own spiritual development and growth. Ask yourself that question from time to time. Get alone with God, just you and him. And ask yourself the question, God, why me? Why me? I ask myself that question, I say, I was a bum. Why did you choose me? The members of my family, they're fine, upstanding citizens, They played their role in society. They went to work. I was was a bum. Why would you choose me and not them? Why me? Why was I a guest? Why am I here? The answer
1: of the Bible is, because I love you. God's grace, it's God's mercy, it's God's love.
0: He didn't look down and say, Paul Murphy, you're the best-dressed pastor in New York City. He didn't look down and say, oh, you're the finest citizen of the Republic of the United States. He didn't look down and he didn't say, you know, Mabel, she's a powerful woman. Now, God looked down and said, I love you. For no other reason than that I loved you. There was nothing in you that attracted me to you. There was nothing that you did that impressed me. That made me fix my sight upon you. That drew my gaze to you. It's only because what my son Jesus Christ has done. In taking your sins upon himself. And paying the penalty for your sins in his body on that cross on Calvary 2,000 years ago. That's all. Look at verse 11, if you will. God chooses some to understand and leaves others in ignorance. The parables. At one and the same time, reveal Jesus and conceal Jesus. At one and the same time. And look at verse 12. This is important. The one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is an important spiritual point that we can see in all of life. If God has given you something, you have a responsibility to cultivate it, to uh, develop it, to grow it. The one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. We see this in athletics, right? Athletes that train and work out get better and better. And if we just sit on the couch and veg, we get fat and sloppy, right? Right? You see it in language study. I've tried to learn various languages over the course of my life. I even failed English in school. But if you persevere at it, if you memorize that vocabulary, if you study the grammar, if you diagram
1: sentences, if you work at it, you eventually learn. If you don't, you lose it. I was telling block, run down the block and say to me, say something in
0: Italian, say something in Italian. I'd say, oh, chucherella, donkey, right? Or gelato, ice cream, right? One day they came running down and they said, say something in Italian. Something in Italian. It was gone. You don't use it, you lose it. It's what Jesus is saying here, right? You get more if you use it, all right? important message spiritually as well. Let's just apply that. What are you doing with the knowledge that you have? What are you doing with the truth that you now possess? What are you doing with the faith once for all delivered to the saints which you have inherited? What are you doing with it? Is this book just on the shelf? Unopened, unused? Are you studying the Bible? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom to know is eternal life? Are you
1: looking to know God better? On Jesus Christ. Or is it enough just to show
0: up for an hour or so on Sunday? It's an important lesson. As your pastor, I put it before you. Look at verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Anybody who's been out on the streets trying to witness to people will echo this sentiment. There are none so blind as those who will not see. Look at verses 16 and 17. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you many prophets and righteous people, talking about the history of Israel, long to see what you see. They didn't see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. They were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They had prophecies, they had pictures, they had shadows, they had forecasts, if you will, of a day that was coming when the Messiah would come, when he would rescue his people, when he would forgive their sins, when he would redeem Israel from all their trouble, but they didn't see it. But blessed are your eyes because they see. Now please note, the disciples are distinguished not because they're better, not because they're smarter, not because they're more spiritual, not because they're more worthy, but because God did something. God gave them eyes to see. God gave them ears to hear. Which brings us to the interpretation of the parable. Read on now with me, if you will, verse 18 and following. Here then the parable of the sower. We read it already. Jesus is now going to interpret it. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. Now, those of us in New York City, we don't always immediately get these agricultural illustrations, right? So let me just try to make this real. If you went out on 21st Street here and you sowed seed on the the road in between the cars, are you going to get anything growing there? No.
1: All right. We all agree on that, right? We don't have to be agriculturalists or live in the. As East 21st Street is hard,
0: they don't understand. And look significantly, look at the text. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown. Remember a couple of sermons ago we talked about spiritual warfare? We talked about the importance of prayer as an offensive weapon in spiritual warfare. I mentioned to you then and I repeat this morning. If you never mention Satan and demons in your prayers... I strongly suspect you don't believe in Satan and demons. Jesus says, the evil one comes and snatches away that seed. That's why after we're out on the streets on Saturday morning, we send out that prayer request. Pray for the seed
1: that's been sown. Pray that the devil doesn't come and snatch it away. pray because there are hearts that are hard that can only be
0: changed by miraculous intervention of God Leon Morris said this he said in other words what's spoken of here is not so much a hard heart as a careless heart the word points to a certain receptiveness this person is not hostile to the message The hearer knows that there is some spiritual truth here intended for profit, but since he doesn't act on it, he soon finds that what he heard is lost. He lacks a due sense of urgency. He fails to realize the stakes that are involved. He fails to act, and the moment passes. I have to tell you, as somebody that's been involved in evangelism a long time, Orlando could say this, so could Fernando and and Sterling and other people that have uh, witnessed to people. Perhaps we don't press the urgency of the matter enough on people.
1: Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today is the God has to give the growth. Unless God changes somebody,
0: nobody's going to be saved. Nobody's going to be converted. Sometimes I just lapse into what I call reformed passive passivism. Pa- 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 oh, I, I sowed the seed uh, The rest is up to God No, there's an urgency to this I was out to breakfast with somebody Thursday, Friday, I can't remember what day. And we hadn't seen each other in a couple of weeks. He told me of three people that dropped dead since the last time I saw him. Just dropped dead. Gone. I said to him, I said, that's why you always have to be prepared. You didn't decide when you were going to be born. Probably won't decide when you're going to die. Are you prepared?
1: Are you prepared? People often. So no, people are people are generally not hostile.
0: The biggest reaction I get when we're out evangelizing is. indifference. Who cares? Don't bother. Look at verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this thorn who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. If you know people like this, Maybe you haven't been a Christian very long. Maybe you've not been in the church long enough. I've known a number of people like this. People who received the word. People who are so joyful. Overflowing with thanksgiving. The joy of salvation. Forgiven. My sins are forgotten. I've been reconciled. And can I tell you how many people I know that have apostatized. In the course of my Christian life.
1: Are no longer walking. Text.
0: Tribulation or persecution arises. This is the shallow, superficial heart. No firm root. Look at verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. One whose heart has been strangled by weeds. Again, we don't live in an agricultural community. I'm not a gardener. But I know enough that if you don't tend the garden, if you don't pull out the weeds, the weeds will overgrow. When we lived in Brooklyn, the house next door to us, it was like in their yard they had trees. I said to my neighbor, I said... Look at that tree, it's crazy. They never trim the tree, they never take care of it, they don't do anything in the yard. My neighbor said to me, That's not a tree, that's a weed that had grown to the size of a tree, shed leaves all over our deck every summer. <laughs> like to strangle the neighbor.
1: <laughs> you gotta get rid of weeds if you're gonna have a Choked out the word.
0: Then verse 23 is the open heart. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. An open heart that receives the word and produces fruit. Fruitfulness. These are parables of God's kingdom because the key to understanding God's kingdom is to understand the gospel. The gospel is a message, a message that comes to hearts, various conditions laid out here. And the condition of your heart in receiving the gospel means everything. So as we continue in our study of parables, we'll have windows into the character of the kingdom of God. We'll have mirrors in which we see ourselves. Do we receive it? Do we welcome it? Do we understand it? Will we live according to it? Will we put it into practice? Grace. Will we resist it? We're saying, maybe later, not now. No, 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 not yet. No, 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 don't bother me. Judge me. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you divinely act, supernaturally act, that you give us understanding, ears to hear, eyes to see, to see Jesus Christ and all his glory
1: as the King of Kings. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.